At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 419th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow your own food, or if you think the only food you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a brown thumb. With this free webinar, you can begin making your own garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you'll receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWANTTOGARDEN.COM. Today on our podcast, we have someone who teaches how to garden with limited space. We're talking with Nikki Schauder about growing food in small spaces. Nikki and her husband, Dave, are passionate about helping suburban families grow their own food. Together, they run Permaculture Gardens at growmyownfood.com, a web portal to help you grow abundantly. In 2017, Permaculture Gardens won the grand prize at the Green Festivals in Washington, D.C. for Most Innovative Sustainable Brand. Their work has been featured in Huffington Post, Permaculture Research Institute Australia, and GreenAmerica.org. They also volunteer at their local Title I school and started a permaculture garden after school program for the elementary kids there. Welcome to the show today, Nikki. Are you ready to rock your small garden? I sure am, Greg. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Certainly. So my my childhood was pure city life in sprawling, polluted Manila, Philippines. Wow. But I lived in a compound where there were old star apple and sweet sop or custard apple trees growing Mm -hmm. and lots of tropical understory. 
not very well tended, but that compound with its stark contrast, the garden with its stark contrast to the pavement and heavy traffic outside our compound gates, seemed to seed a yearning in me to do something about the environment. Despite the fact that I knew no- next to nothing about gardening, mm-hmm. I was a black thumb. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward to 2006, I'm married here in the U.S., and the first two of our six children, Zoe and Ethan, started exhibiting severe food allergies soon after birth. Mm, sorry. Yeah, Zoe was dis- diagnosed with failure to thrive, which means she just wasn't gaining weight. And she was allergic to all nuts, milk, eggs, gluten, chicken, peas, and even beans. Wow. And so that, that diagnosis, failure to thrive, that's really our medical system saying, oh, we don't know, right? Yes, we don't know why she's not growing. So, And they tried testing and everything, and they really couldn't understand why, because there were no lesions when they did an endoscopy, and mm-hmm. but she just wasn't gaining weight. And then our, our second son, our second child, Ethan, was born, and he became allergic to fish and all nuts by six months of age. Wow. Yeah, so we started questioning the food system. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Yeah, we were at this time still eating McDonald's and buying at Costco and fast foods. But because of the allergies, we decided to go organic. Not all at once. First, we bought organic milk, then eggs, then some veggies. Until little by little, our grocery prices went through the roof. And we thought, what if we grew all of this ourselves? Mm -hmm. So on one of our bookstore dates, Dave and I stumbled upon a homesteading book which mentioned permaculture. And then Googling it up on the internet, we started watching one permaculture video after another. And among these, the most life-changing videos we came across was John Liu's documentary on the lowest plateau in China and Jeff Lawton's Greening the Desert Project in Jordan, where they only get four inches of rain a year. And they now have managed to grow desert climate food forests. Mm -hmm. So this was our permaculture initiation. If permaculture could green the desert, it seemed like anything was possible. Permaculture may very well cure my black thumb. And it did. So you are absolutely right, Greg. The black thumb is a myth. Wow. Okay. So you're at the place you start eating organically. And what happens to their health? So we start eating organically. And little by little, the kids' allergies start to go away. Now, I don't have any proof because I don't have the control of several hundred trials of of people. I just have my kids. But now they have outgrown all their allergies and they can now eat almonds and certain nuts. So it's amazing because the way that we eat now is so vastly different from the way that we used to eat that we we are pretty sure that that was the thing that changed their health for the better. Mm -hmm. And so all your kids now are healthy. Yes. And we never had any other kids who had allergies since then, thank But yes. And then because we learned more and more about permaculture, I wanted so much to get certified in it just so that I could apply it at home. And so I took a permaculture design course with Wayne Wiseman, who is founder of the Permaculture Project. And he came here to Northern Virginia. I took the course already having made a design before I took the course. And so the design was for our Title I school designing a permaculture garden for our Title I school nearby. And he actually got to come in and help consult on the design of that school. Oh, and how cool. Yes. It, yeah. And, and after I graduated from the 72-hour course, I went on to teach the kids there 
every afternoon, I think every week, at um, for about an hour, we had 90 kids sign up for the after-school program on gardening, and we couldn't, we could hardly keep up just trying to teach <laughs> them. So, so there mm. is such an interest for garden work oh, among yeah. kids. So nice, congratulations! That's epic. Yes, thank you. So, yeah, I want to jump in and talk about what a PDC or a permaculture design course is. Can you give our listeners a, a little bit of an idea about that? All right. So I'm going to I'm going to share what I know about it. And I'm sure, Greg, you can like fill in the blanks. But PDC permaculture design course was intended by uh, Bill Mollison, the founder or the father of permaculture to be the vehicle in which people who who took these permaculture concepts for 72 hours could then themselves teach how to live holistically, integrally, to design spaces and economies themselves uh, to other people. That's how I understand it. And I felt like I wanted to be able to teach people how to do that and then to teach myself for sure and to make sure that what I was doing was holistic, integrative, and that it, it was going with nature, not against nature. Right. So can you define permaculture for us? Okay. What makes permaculture gardening different than re- regular organic gardening? Mm-hmm. Because not all organic farming is permaculture, but definitely permaculture farming or permaculture gardening is always organic and it's beyond organic even because it takes sustainability into consideration. I always remember Bill Mollison, like I said, the father of permaculture, chiding people from the Environmental Protection Agency, consulting with him and talking quote unquote about sustainability. Bill Mollison asked them, what is your definition of sustainability anyway? And do you know this no one could answer him when he asked them that. So Bill Mollison says, sustainability is when the output of a system far exceeds the input to the system. I'd actually like to add a little bit to that because that, that is actually brilliant. Uh-huh. But what I would say is that permaculture and regenerative design does that. So recently, people have been using the term regenerative and saying sustainable is passé. But yes. what, how, how do you differentiate regenerative and sustainable, Greg? Excellent question. And um, I'm doing this interview, so I'm giggling over here <laughs> that, you're, uh, that you're interviewing me now. But that's, that's so great. Sorry, I love Greg. it. That completely works. So for me, sustainability is passé. It was really important at the time, you know, over the past 25 years as it's come into its own. But for me, sustainability simply sustains the mess that we've created. Regenerative design looks at how to take sustainable systems and make them move themselves forward. Because if you look at all the sustainable things that we do in our culture, recycling, that's you know supposed right. to be one of these sustainable things. Well, recycling is a problem. You know, it's, uh, you know, we're running out of of things to do with all the recycled plastic out there. So, you know, a big bunch of it, well, it used to get shipped to China. I don't think China's taking it anymore, but it used to get shipped to China so they could burn it for fuel. Right. And I mean, they always ship stuff to the, to Asia. When I was growing up, mm-hmm. the States yeah, dumped a lot of like nuclear waste stuff mm. near the Philippines and tried to cover it up. And yeah, they're always shipping stuff to Asia and you can't ship them 
anymore. Because, yeah. but then there is a cause for that new word, regenerative. Then yes, so that is so good to hear. Would you do me a favor and read that or, or share that Bill Mollison's definition again? Yes. So Bill Mollison says sustain sustainability is when the output of a system far exceeds the input to the system. Yes. And it's the systems are designed by nature to create more abundance than was there in the first place. Yes. Right? Wow. That is true. Cool. Another way that they differ Mm -hmm. has to do with economy and permaculture like you said, is a design system that is not just for growing vegetables abundantly. That's one of the results of both permaculture and organic gardening. Mm -hmm. But permaculture systems look to the whole surrounding neighborhood and long to create a cyclical economy where there is no waste. In fact, the more I think about it, permaculture, in my mind, is like a 3D spiral economy. Your garden community gets better and better, more stable, more resilient to pests with each year, with each iteration, with each growing, so much so that you can support your entire village and maybe even feed the neighboring village. That's what permaculture gardening is to me, as opposed to just organic gardening. Yeah. Wow. That was brilliant. Good job. Oh, thank you. So you've studied permaculture for a while now, and you've taken the concepts of permaculture, which permaculture isn't just about gardening. It's really about how we live our entire life, but you've boiled it down to your small gardens. So how are you overlaying permaculture on your small garden projects? Well, to get people to think that they can grow in a small space, or at least to get them out of the mindset that they need a lot of space in order to start growing their own food, my husband Dave and I often give them very quantitative answers. For instance, you can grow $700 worth of produce in a 10 by 10 square foot garden bed. Um, Or in our case, we live in a sandwich townhouse, which is roughly 1 40th of an acre. Mm -hmm. And we we managed to grow 300 pounds of fruits and veggies a year. Wow. So most people in America have attempted vegetable gardening at one point or another in their lives. In fact, over one third of Americans currently grow food but I don't think they can. They realize the potential ways they could garden in small spaces. So my husband, Dave, and I like to incorporate what he calls, quote unquote, multipliers for doubling, some cases, tripling or quadrupling your output. Okay. What's a multiplier? So the first multiplier that almost everything relies on is to make sure your gardens have healthy soil full of micro and macro life. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a container garden, you can promote the life in your pots by adding some earthworms and using bigger pots. I always say the bigger pot, the better. And if your soil is currently lifeless, you can jumpstart the life in the soil by spiking it with compost tea or spent mushroom compost or mulch, leaf cover mulch, uh, as well as there's some mycorrhizal tablets that you can add Mm -hmm. to, to pots. Another great multiplier is multi-season growing. We live in Northern Virginia. We are in zone 7A with a temperate climate, so we do get some sub-zero temperatures in the winter. But even with that, we had a lot of success doing seasonal crop rotations in our garden. Spring, summer, and fall through winter. A lot of people don't realize you can garden outside of summer. 
uh, we've managed to figure out the planting windows for different seasonal crops, taking into the into account the ideal germination temperatures and how long they normally take to grow before harvest. And then we plan our rotations so that as one season's crops start to die down, we put in the next season of different crops into the exact same place. We've found that keeping the soil continually covered with plant life and diverse plantings allows us to grow the same annuals in the same spots year after year. So for instance, great rotation we use in one of our beds is having a spring crop of early fava beans, garlic, peas, lettuce, give way in the summer to basil and sweet potato vines. I know we talked a while ago about sweet potato being an amazing ground cover oh, yes. that keep, yes, that keeps the moisture in during the summer months. Then when we harvest the sweet potatoes in the fall, in go the brassicas, carrots, and beets in a low tunnel for a tasty winter treat. A so low, we all, a low tunnel. So yeah. Describe that for us real quick so we know. So the low tunnel that we use um, is made out of electrical conduit, which you can buy at Home Depot for $3. Mm-hmm. And we cover it with a row cover of Agribon, uh, which is a breathable fa- fabric cover. And that's what goes in first in the early fall. And then in the winter, it's a layer of plastic that goes in. Mm. And and that's our low tunnel so, DIY. Yeah, so a low tunnel is like a little greenhouse-ish thing. Yeah, that is And, that and, is and low means it's what, 18 inches tall maybe? Yes, that's yeah. about its height. Yep. We, we also get a huge – so the other multiplier we have, the third, is we also get a huge increase in efficiency by growing in three dimensions. So in permaculture, we learn that we have seven layers plus in a food forest from the canopy tree down – trees down to the root crops. Mm -hmm. But in a small suburban or urban garden, you probably can't fit in some of these layers. In our yard, you can't really grow taller than 10 to 12 feet trees. So medium-sized bushes and dwarf fruit trees are probably as big as you can go. However, by incorporating vertical support systems like netting or fences and low-cost trellising, we use a cattle fence panel bent into a tunnel shape. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, and you can stack multiple plants in the same place. We love to use strawberries and yarrow as a ground cover under all the herbaceous bushes and utilize vining varieties of popular summer crops. Like instead of growing zucchini, we grow something similar to it called tromboncino rampicante, and that is a vining kind of zucchini. Oh, wow. Yep. So multipliers, these are these are things that you do to help really multiply our our crop and the multipliers that you just mentioned were building healthy soil, rotating your crops seasonally. So you're actually running multiple crops throughout the seasons and then growing in 3D using, you know, vertical growing as well as horizontal growing. That's correct. Wow. Awesome. Good job. Yeah. And so I, I want to transition a little bit and I want to just jump over to your website, growyourownfood.com. And I'm on the Why We Grow page. And when I saw this this morning, it was like, wow, we need to talk about this. Because you have four really amazing reasons why you grow. Uh, you grow to feed your family. You grow to change the world. You grow to for spiritual reasons. And you grow to be happy. Talk to me about that and how that came about. Okay, so the first is... We grow for our family, and 
I talked a little bit about this in the beginning. We want to be able to feed our family the healthiest, most nutritious food that there is available. And the, it doesn't get healthier and more local than growing it at home. And we want other families to do the same. And that's why our approach is really trying to get families to grow it together. We, we see that we're doing that now a mm -hmm. little bit, and we can't wait to see what else, how many more we can impact in, in this regard. Mm -hmm. So then you have, we grow to change the world. Tell me about that. I love what Jeff Lawton says, all the problems of the world can be solved in a garden. I truly believe that because I come from a third world country and I know that the problems that we are facing poverty-wise can be solved merely by providing access to healthy, nutritious food. Because mm -hmm. from the food, everything, you can live. But if you give them bad food, then of course, then you get t tons of other disadvantages such as health problems. And, and I think the food is the key. The seeds and the foods are the key. So yeah. that's just one of many problems of the world. Like, there's so many political problems being fought over territory. And really, if the territories were well we're rich and abundant, then you wouldn't have to fight. You would just give and give. And yeah. that's what permaculture, that's why we believe permaculture can change the world. Yes. Well, and, and I had something interesting happen about mm, 10 years ago during the downturn of the economy. I was watching the Today Show one morning and it was about this family that had three generations and it showed their house and they were in the South somewhere and they had, you know, a nice yard had a really small house, like a thousand square foot house. Then they had three generations living there and they were starving and they were trying to figure out how to make it through the last downturn of our economy. And I just, mm. lo I looked at that space and it's like, why aren't you growing food? You have three generations of people there grow food. Right. And there is no excuse. And that's what we're trying to show. If you can grow it in small spaces, you can grow it in big spaces if you have land. So yes, that growing food is is the answer to all our ills. It, yeah. And it's not just food like it's going to feed your body. It's also going to feed your soul and it's going to feed your your mind and your your outlook in life. So Yeah, so you grow for spiritual reasons as well. Tell me about that. Yes, so we I love one of your podcasts featured Lena Roos who talked about the role mm. of religion yes. and gardens, yes. And it called to mind some beautiful words from an avid gardener who also happens to be a theology professor at the University of Virginia. His name is Vegan Garoyan, and he says, every garden is or should be an attempt to recreate paradise. We think part of our human role is to steward this blessed earth that we've been given and to illumine or understand our own faith in the process. Mm -hmm. So I also like the, um, the image from, from Wally where... Wally, have you ever watched Wally? The, oh yeah, the cartoon, the, the cartoon movie. Yeah, yeah, that's about my favorite film actually. And he is—he gets shipped into the he 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 clutches to the rocket ship, and he bursts out of into outer space. And you have this view, pan back to the Earth, and it's so trashed up. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, brown. I that. Yep. Yes, and it's not that blue, beautiful ball that was created. And, and then that just gives me like, what did we do? What, what did we do to this place that we've just been, that we've been given? And that just, you know, fuels me to, to grow more and to get more people growing as well. Yay. And you grow to be happy. Tell me about that. Well, we're always in this process. It's so easy to get 
down because of the news and a lot of the statistics that are going into, you know, now regarding climate change and the story of stuff. And it's so easy to just sit down and just just get depressed about it. But we want to be able to provide like a positive space and a way to positively change things. And in my biggest failure, <laughs> you will see a little bit more about how we've turned something that's negative into something that's really happier. But I also, to talk about happiness, uh, the actual act of growing food when we see the kids, especially in our Title I school, growing for the first time, it is just mind-blowing that they come from a place where they have no clue where their food comes from. And then they realize something makes them realize, oh, my goodness, my French fries came from that, which I just pulled out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to keep digging and digging and, and seeing a a butterfly for the first time or a ladybug for the first time is just amazingly happy and joyful to watch. So it's happy for me, but I'm sure it's immensely happy for them as well. Yeah. You've done a really great job of the work that you do and really articulating your methods. You, you speak very clearly and very positively about this work. So good work on, on your part. Oh, Greg, thank you so much. We're indebted to people like you who make this and so many other people who we've learned from available to just digest from your website. So thank you. You bet. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. All right. So we have many epic fails in gardening. and Yay. That means we're learning (laughs) a lot, right? Yes. But one has to do with getting into trouble with our Suburban Homeowners Association. Oh, nice. (laughs) You ready for that? Please. So the second year into growing in a permaculture way, we decided to build a well-tended compost heap in the forested area of our suburban development where our house backed into the woods. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say it was very neat and tidy. I covered it with a tarp and staked out a perimeter. And then we went on vacation for a week. And then by the time we got back, it was gone. Everything as if I never built a compost heap that smoked up to 170 degrees. Plus, our fenced-in garden was cited for having overgrown vegetation. Quote, unquote, overgrown vegetation was Uh what they said. Yeah, We were trying to use vertical spaces like our fence to grow cucumber vines on. And that's Mm -hmm. what happened. So we trimmed our vegetation and then we weren't cited anymore. But last year, we were cited again for having overgrown vegetation in our front yard and that we should grow vegetables. We should not grow vegetables in our front yard due to rat problems in the subdivision that we're living in. <laughs> so, like, the, but, like the rat problems are your problem, right? Yes. And we could, however, grow it in our backyard. So we could, we had permission to grow in our backyard, but not our front yard. So we actually asked to be heard by the board, and I talked to a lot of moms in the neighborhood, and so I go to this board meeting a little late, and by the time I get there, there are lots of these moms already there, like grilling the, the HOA board and asking <laughs> them why, why we couldn't grow food. But it was all very respectful, and, and so we showed, I showed them our work at Permaculture Gardens, and more importantly, how our front yard was bringing the neighborhood together and building community And at this meeting, they listened to us respectfully, and they said, as long as you take care of it, it should be fine. But then a few weeks later, we still got a similar citation 
saying get rid of the vegetables in the front yard. So that seems like an epic fail, but here's the lesson that I learned. Mm -hmm. Getting your neighborhood friends together does create an impression on these HOAs, even though they didn't legally, in writing, let us grow vegetables in the front yard. They heard us out, and there is now a discussion started on vegetable gardening in the community and working to change out our landscapers' use of Roundup. Mm. To, so that's, that would be huge, and at least there is some discussion on that started. Yeah. Another lesson learned is to test the limits of how much you can grow despite HOA restrictions. Yeah. Because we still do it anyways, and we post that we're growing it on social media, and they just don't seem to see the vegetables in the front yard. So I could, I, it could be one of two things. They're either unfamiliar with the look of vegetables. Which or, is probably the case. <laughs> which is probably the case. Or they may be intentionally turning a blind eye to our particular home because of the civil discussion we had at them at the HOA board uh, meeting. I suspect it's number one. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Um, but I do see them outside inspect our townhouse and our strawberries and lettuce are pretty obvious. Uh-huh. But they, they did agree to having us having pollinator plants, though. So oh, keep nice. yes, keep speaking up. Get your neighborhood to face the board on citations such as this. There are some developments to the west of us where neighborhoods are very open to growing in the front and backyard. So things are changing. Wow, cool, good job on that. HOAs are are a hard one. I've always been a fan of rather than trying to change them. You know, all of the HOAs here in the Phoenix metropolitan area, I always encourage people to, you know, do it one at a time, Mm -hmm. work with your neighborhood, work with your HOA board and get them educated. Yes, that is so true. And do it one garden at a time because people are still growing despite these restrictions. Mm -hmm. We have people who don't speak English and they come from Bangladesh and they're nearby and, and we see them putting up their red spinach every summer you know, and I think that there is change. They can't keep us from growing. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you consider your biggest success? So just as we've had failures, we've also had many successes. But I think the biggest impact we have made is on the lives of our families mm-hmm. and the kids who are now growing food to sustain themselves because of the webinars, challenges, and courses we offer online. For us personally, our biggest family farming success is that we find every year more and more ways to grow abundantly and that it's a lifetime learning endeavor. I feel like what we grow becomes integrated into our lives. So we found ways to use what we've grown for cosmetics, for household cleaners Mm, around the house, mm -hmm. and for medicinal herbs that we use to heal ourselves during this cold and flu season. So we've grown in, in that belief that this integration with nature is how we were meant to live. Beautifully said. Thank you. What drives you? So like I said before, we believe that our human role is to steward this planet. But those reasons of ecological reasons, spiritual reasons that we mentioned earlier, simple living and our family's health is what drives us to do this permaculture garden business amidst life's challenges. Mm -hmm. And Once again, I have to say more in a garden grows than the gardener knows. And the benefits of gardening are so much more than I can even describe. 
just your peace of mind and your your participation in improving yourself, your neighborhood and society comes just from that one act of planting a seed. Yeah. So that's what drives us, our About Us page. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why we grow, why we grow. Yeah, that's beautiful. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I would recommend a book by my teacher, Wayne Wiseman, Daniel Halsey, and Bryce Roddock entitled Integrated Forest Gardening because I use it when I want to put together plant guilds. And I love that he extends permaculture teaching. For instance, he says things like there are seven or nine layers of food forest, but there are like infinite other ways other layers in in a food forest that you have. Mm-hmm. And this book is good for selecting plants that work well in guilds and is aimed at North American audiences. Can you tell us what a guild is, given you brought it up? So a guild is a grouping of plants where each plant has, I would say, more than two functions. And that the functions are such that in concert, all the plants in that template create a more abundant harvest than if those plants were planted individually in a monocrop, for Mm -hmm. instance. So it's also called a polyculture, but really it's a it's a concert of players all making one symphony of a of an abundant harvest for you. And that's what mm. a, a guild is in permaculture. I like that you used the word symphony in this case. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Book number two. I also recommend the book I Quit Sugar by Sarah Wilson as a resource for finding clever ways to use leftover foods. I say this because you can compost that food that's left over, but you may want to see if you can still reuse it first. Awesome. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? So Greg, I'm sure many of your listeners are aspiring or veteran gardeners. So this advice focuses on how you can manage your expectations when you garden. Ooh, good. (laughs) There can be those moments when our best laid plans for our gardens go awry. And we've had plenty of those when the weather or bugs or the plants we thought would yield a huge harvest simply don't yield anything. So those moments can be disheartening. But for us, these are actually positive moments because we are learning more about what can grow successfully or not in our garden. And then we can change our approach, tweak our designs and try again. We have this attitude because we always start with the assumption that nature and life are abundant. Our plants and mushrooms in our garden want to be just as successful as we want them to be. It will actually boost your gardening to have this positive attitude because then you quickly get past focusing on the bad stuff and start figuring out the ongoing puzzle to better design and implement your garden. Mm -hmm. So the surefire way to improve your harvest is to integrate diversity into everything you do in the garden, not just in the varieties of annuals and perennials you try to incorporate, but also in the types of experimenting you do. And we hope that you experiment away. (laughs) Nature is full of diversity. So introducing some new perennial edibles into your garden every year will start to accumulate diversity year after year and in turn boost your harvest as it settles into a balanced ecosystem. We like to run six to 12 experiments a year. For example, last year, some of our experiments included growing dwarf edible bananas in containers or sprouting ginger on the deck and experimenting with low-tech ways to create and cultivate oyster mushroom kits. Many of these experiments don't work. Those three did. Yeah, <laughs> but nice. Our, 
<laughs> but a good percentage turn out successfully. And it's because we try lots of different things at the same time and that we don't get bogged down in our failed experiments. Yeah. Well, and the failures are just learnings. They are. Each failure is a learn, a learned experience. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Nikki. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for what you do. You bet. So I have two questions. I normally say, how can our listeners get a hold of you? So let's go there first. All right. So our website is growmyownfood.com. Growmyownfood.com. You can also find us on Instagram, permaculture underscore garden is our handle. Mm-hmm. And on Facebook, Facebook, we're Permaculture Gardens. Awesome. And you guys offer online courses. Tell me about them and you know what, what they look like, how you do that. Great. So our Grow It Yourself program, as we like to call it, is our monthly garden program for families who are just like we were, eager to grow, but perhaps easily discouraged by failed results. We want to be that couple that guides them through the growing process and starts them off by learning from our mistakes and using permaculture garden design from the very beginning. We do this through a step-by-step garden course, printable templates, online gardening apps, and a monthly online check-in with us and a community of growers. Yes. And that's how we get to see and work with these families and view their backyards, their compost heaps, and together design their gardens to see what works in their climate and what doesn't. So what we're we're offering is permaculture education, specifically for urban and suburban homes. Whether that means growing in an apartment balcony or a community garden plot or a sprawling backyard. That's our Grow It Yourself program. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You, You've been very articulate and clear. I love your messaging. Good work. Oh, thank you, Greg. Thanks so much for your encouragement throughout this process. Thank you. You bet. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash grow my own food. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and every place that podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow your own food, or if you think the only food you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a brown thumb. With this free webinar, you can begin making your own garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you'll receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. 
Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or com. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.